0: On today's episode, I am going to be speaking with writer-producer Jay Moriarty. He has a book out. It's called "Honky in the House. It's about his time working on the hit TV series, The Jeffersons. We're going to hear all about his background, what made him come out to LA with no contacts, how he found himself working on a show with Norman Lear, uh, among others, all about his entire journey. I think if you're a writer, you're a budding writer, you're... Someone that's just a fan of television. This is a great story. I can't wait to share it with you. And here we are with Jay Moriarty. No, for USC, I was was curious about that as well. And I was going to ask you, like, for these maybe this, this team that you helped sort of guide or, or just any students you had over your, your decade or so there, like, what do you think like the biggest misconception is for kids coming to LA saying, I want to break into the biz. Some of them might think, oh, I just need to meet." the right person, or I need to have, have a short film, right? Or, or, or maybe some of them think it's just easier said than done. I don't know. What, 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 what do you sort of in your time felt the biggest misconception is with these students and how do you sort of set them straight and and bring them back to reality?
1: What do you have to do? I could speak from comedies. That's where I come from. If you can write something, write something funny. If you can write, if you can write something that somebody's read, will read and laugh. That's what you want to do. You can do it five pages. You can do it, write a whole script. It's, that's great, but but you've got to write something funny. It's not about, what it's not about is who you know and that kind of thing. And you said well i got to meet you. So that's good if you meet that person. But eventually, you got to be able to show that person or somebody, if, you, if this is what you want to do. If you want to write comedy for a living, you're going to have to be able to write something funny. Uh, if you find somebody who, who you can write with and you Two of you laughing, two of you and like something funny together. That, that's it. Now the drama thing's a whole other ball of wax. But basically, in story, like you know, once I got producing a show, you know, in the fifth season of Jefferson, they might kind of start producing, and then we, after that it was in production. And, and I would read even when I was when we were story editors, we have a pile of scripts on our from agents, you know, who wanted the job, and so. I, the first thing I would look for, I would look for two things whenever I read a spec script. I uh, tell students this uh, story and jokes. And, you know, I'll say, what if I ask students, what's the most important? You know, who thinks jokes are the most important? Well, hands go up. And then somebody raises a story, and then I know that person understands. Story is the most important thing. You, you got to have a story. You got to have a, I compare, I call, compare story and jokes to clothesline and clothespins, you know, stories, the clothesline. And if you don't have a clothesline and those clothespins are useless, you know, the jokes, but you, that's what I look for both in a script. However, if I don't, if it's a comedy and I'm picking up a comedy script, you know, if it's, if I'm on Jefferson's, I'll, I'll get MASH scripts and, you know, shows that war near maritime more If I'm not, if I'm not laughing the first couple of pages, then uh, put it down. I mean, it's, uh, I got to see that the guy that the the, re, the writer knows funny, but I also got to mm-hmm. see if I find somebody who knows story and jokes, that's the person I say hey, I want to meet with this person, pitch me a story. If it's a good one, we'll send you out an assignment. You right, write. We'll, we'll work with you. We'll tell you what you know. Write tr- what you do for a story assignment on a, on a show is first you write a. Uh, it's a story outline, basically a narrative, like a five, eight page narrative of what the episode would be if you're writing episodes, and uh, and then you write the first draft and a second draft, but you're getting notes each time. So got, that's another thing students don't realize is young young writers. It's like they just think whatever they write, then they take it and shoot it. Well, it doesn't work that way. You've got to get. I've always thought that, like at SC, they ought to teach class just in how to take notes. I mean, notes from a from who's ever running the show are, are like orders in the army they're not like just suggestions you know these are things you've gotta you've got to be able to take notes you can't say well i wrote it this way and i think it should go this way Well, you won't be there very long so uh but eventually if you care about your material then you want to be the person who gives the notes eventually and, and and that can happen. I mean, that can happen in, in our case. But uh, but yeah, the misconception right. is that it's big misconception from students coming out of a school like USC Film School is that that they're going to get hired right away as a job. And I can't tell you how I many calls I like, get. You know, professor, I, I can't get a job. You know, I've been out of school six months, and I, well, you know, welcome to the real world. That's uh that's a misconception. So you. Want to write comedy or write something funny? Two guys, you know, I write about in the book, I, mean, Mike and I, I think one of the things we did really well is identify talent. And uh, guys that we hired and, and never as first credits, and I'll give you two names, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Peter Casey and David Lee, they hit. And uh, they would write, they would do what I said. They would write. They were both working on, I think, for Movable Feast at the time, freaking Sandwiches around, you know, to, but anyway, you could tell they were good, they were smart. We read a Barney Noah script, met with them, gave them an assignment, hired them on the Jeffersons, was their first job. They end up writing on Jeffersons for six years, and they end up uh, writing on Cheers and producing Cheers and creating Wings and creating Frasier. And if you watch Frasier, you'll know the names Casey and Lee, and they, uh, they won Emmys for, for the. Frazier won five years in a row in Best Comedy Series. That's, uh, and they, they wrote stuff that was funny and the end, uh, made sense. If you a could good get, story. yeah, a uh, solid story. And for me, I always look, you know, if you'd be surprised how many so-called writers or freelance writers just, you know, we get like Jefferson scripts, uh, it'd, be, it'd be like, uh, oh, a big fan, you know, agents would call, big fan of Jefferson's, wrote a script, okay, send it over. And it'd be like, what show were they watching? You know, there's the, the common mistake was writing George like an obnoxious guy that hated everybody and, and fat jokes for on Louise and Tom Willis, the you guy. Not really getting the show. But one thing, one thing advice you can give to writers is don't, when you write a spec script, don't send it to the show that it is. Send it to, you know, if I'm wearing the Jeffersons, don't send me Jefferson script because I'll be overly critical because I know the show too well, but send me a Mash script, send me a Barney Miller, send me, you know, whatever the shows are today. Now today it's a little, I don't know, you know, Netflix and all these shows, a lot of limited series. And even like Ted Lasso or something, you know, you have to kind of know the arc, you know, in the era that I was talking about with Norman Lear, you pretty much are writing separate stories, which is great in syndication because you can just mix them up all you want. Like if you're doing Ted Lasso, pretty much one's got to follow the next one, doesn't it? And it's a little different for, but, but you gotta write something to show that you can write. I mean, that's, you gotta have a, a sample. What I call a spec script, you know, means you write it on speculation. You you don't ever intend to sell it. You don't ever intend to get it made or anything. You just, it's your calling card, you know? Here's it's your portfolio. And, and, and what I tell students is you, okay you wrote a great first spec script now first thing you want to do is write a second one so you write two if you have two really good scripts you're in good shape because the first thing somebody's going to ask you an agent that you're going to try to use your script to get an agent and if they read some good they'll say what else you got and you don't want to say well that that's all you want to say then agent knows this person writes this person's prolific have yeah, two spec scripts they want to, they want to do this you know it's not just something they want to write and say hey hey," like like singing you know maybe i if i sing this song it'll be a hit and i'll make the million dollars what other songs you sing well that's all you know i just like singing that song right now
0: exactly yeah so well since you brought that up with streaming with you know you know social media youtube do you see this classic sitcom format like Holding its ground, or do you think things are going to be shifting to this whole new sort of direction, like you're saying, Apple TV or whatever? I think I
1: think things definitely shift, and it's like climate change. I mean, you can't stop comedy shifts. You know, what's funny shifts, but I think there will always be comedy. So the, the, the trick is just like you know, I don't know if you saw Barbie or I just saw Barbie recently. So. Different things are funny to different generations. Even you know, different things are funny to different. Like you watch British comedy, you know, not, not everybody understands Money Python or it's just different. But but it, it, but it's good if you know whatever makes people laugh. I think it'll be a little different. Like what Norma did was do the shows in front of a live audience, and that's basically what Lucy and did. And that to me is the favorite way of doing. Comedy. I I really get spoiled doing a, in front of a live audience because to me doing a, a single camera show is not something I want to even do. It, it's so nice to be able to write and know that you're going to be able to test your material in front of a live audience. And when you hear them laughing, that's you know I think you had asked at one point about the rush of of or what are some great stories behind the scenes. You know behind the scenes it's all work. You're working hard. Whether you're an actor, or you're a writer, you're focused on what the play is that you're doing this week and, and, and you know portraying your character or writing the, the script. But the rush, the two rushes really that come. One is the table read. So once the script's written and then the actors have no idea, they show up for a cold reading and that they play their characters. So now you hear the script in the mouths of the characters. And everybody's usually, especially on our show, The Jeffersons, so everybody was this poem for everybody and, and we had good material and a good actress and and it, it'd be fun it'd be, everybody's laughing every said the table read was great and then the tape night uh, tape night is that's that's the rush because people are laughing that's what you're writing single camera you don't hear people you know you're shooting that and there's no audience and and they're shooting these two scenes out of sequence one day and some some second ads off shooting that and it's like I personally, I just spoiled because uh, like even when I was teaching at SC, well, we did show in front of a live audience so they get to see, you know, and you can see, well, it doesn't work. So that's why when we did Norman Lear shows, you did a show at five and the same show at eight. So you did two shows. If something doesn't work, doesn't get a laugh that you thought would in the first show, you can, you can change the joke for the eight o'clock show. So, and then you cut the two together, and that's your show that's going to air. But that was always okay. the, that was always the good stuff. I mean,
0: the good so, so it kind of sounds like almost like musical in a way where you'd have a band that, you know, comes up with this song, they rehearse it, they all get together in a room, play it, and then they get to go and test that in front of the audience and get that reaction. And then they get right. to play it again the next night and feed off of or hear it, or it on, on radio day. and
1: see if people go buy it or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have that sort of yours was like sort of an instant gratification, but I, I get what you're saying. It makes sense when you are shooting chronological versus like you said, you know, this day you're doing this scene and it... it yeah, it, well it's it, like it a,
1: just, play. a play. It, is what we did. Norman, Norman would literally call it a play. He would talk about the play, with in there, and it was a play. Because we can think about a person who wrote four, four off Broadway plays or something, that nobody really saw but, but there wrote these four. Well, that's great. I mean, I've written 400 plays. I mean, mm-hmm. you write these plays we did 20, in those days you did 24 shows a season, but... Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it a play, like you say, you, you show it in sequence. And we would mask off if there was like a doctor scene coming up and the audience arrives, well, we masked mask that so they couldn't, you know, see what was behind it until the time in the story when it came that you had a show up going to the doctor. And, you know, we never introduced the the day players before the show. We had to introduce the regular cast, but we didn't show them. Like in a show, we had Billy D. Williams, who was a, a guest on the show we don't show them at the beginning you show the introduce. so we treat it like a play like that the audience learns as you go along what's what's going to happen that was interesting. billy D. williams but billy d williams was in and so we had a running gag on the show where florence was crazy about billy D. Williams. she was the love interest you know he was a real matinee i hope, and and i remember saying why don't we get billy d on the on the show you know and and everybody said, you can't, he's not going to do the show. Anyway, long story short, once we got produced and then I put my producer hat on, I said, let's see if we can get Billy D. We got him. But I always remember you talk about, you know, what, what goes on in the set. Basically, I love to just sit in the audience and watch the show. There's a booth. My partner would be usually be in the booth and I I just like to watch the people laugh. And I, If I had a thought or something, I could run in the booth and tell them. But with Billy D., I happened to be backstage with him when he was getting ready to go on, you know. And he would he would call like my partner and I by our last names Milligan or Moriarty. And he turns to me and he says Moriarty, uh, I'm nervous. And I said, What do you mean you're nervous? He says, uh, You're a movie star. And he says, uh, uh, But I never played my uh, never played myself before. Who is this guy? And and it's interesting from an actor when you go, You an know, actors never played. They they kind of know even though. I, you know, so all of a sudden he's cute and he's there at the door. And of course, as soon as he stuck his head in the door, you know, he knew who he was and the, the audience reminded him who he was and and the show ended up going great. It was where he's actually from Harlem too, which worked perfectly. So it was a story where George needs a, uh, a special guest at the boys club thing and, he, and Billy's in town. He sees, so he thinks he can get Billy D to, but then you, then you can't get a hold of him. He looks like he's not gonna get him. So he talks to Ralph, the, the doorman, about getting a uh, getting a look-alike, you know? And then Florence hears that he's trying to get a look-alike from Ralph. So she thinks he's getting, and when real Billy Dee shows up, she thinks that Billy Dee's a look-alike and she's making fun of him and everything. <laughs> and uh, it actually is a very funny show, but.
0: So it yeah. sounds like a good, like, the set though itself, I know you talk in the book, Honky in the House, uh, uh, about, Sherman seemed to be a very, Laid back, friendly, just kind of happy-go-lucky guy, yeah. right? Yeah, he, yeah, In person, uh, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, to... he was
1: totally different guy on George Jefferson. That's why I thought he was such a great sure. actor because he, he just, he was just a sweet guy. And uh, yeah, when we started on the show, uh, Mike and I, Sherman would come and sleep on our couch, and he identified with like the lowest people on the totem pole. I mean, that's who he would gravitate toward so uh you know he was if his driver wanted to find him whatever they come look on our sherman you know all he wore a t-shirt and sneakers and jeans and that's about it he would come to work in a white t-shirt jeans sneakers didn't drive at all He's from you know back east to the yeah. driver for him but he was uh and he, another thing i mentioned in the book you know when i first met sherman one of the first shows we had you break between shows you know you have five o'clock eight o'clock, you have dinner between sherman would first make a plate of food and take it down to the security guard i mean you know how do you not like a guy like that you know uh, he just was identified like i say with the lowest people on the totem board you know it was it's always interesting Sherman. then we went to hawaii that was interesting we sherman's just such an innocent guy we put one of the uh, stage managers said your job is just to stay with sherman to know where Sherman is at all times, which turned out to be one of our best decisions. You know,
0: this guy <laughs>
1: just hung with Sherman, buddy. You know, Where's Sherman, where Sherman? And then we called, go where? Ah, we're up in the mountains here, He, he you know, met some locals and uh, they wanted to show Sherman this farm up there. And so I'm up here now. You know, and said, well, we're going to need you to shoot so, here. Uh, stuff like that. But uh, and that's in the that's book. Too. So, in fact, talking about Very Sherman, when Sherman. Mike and I, Sherman, on the day he coming in on a plane. So Mike and I said, "Let's, we're going to go to the airport and meet Sherman." And Sherman, we he's there. And hey, Sherman, how you doing? Let's go get your luggage. And he says, "What luggage?" So what? Well, you didn't bring any luggage? He just white shirt, t-shirt, and I mean, in his jeans and 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 well, you didn't bring a toothbrush. He didn't bring anything. So he was like <laughs> a, a ward of the court. You know, fortunately, our wardrobe person was there, and that was Sherman.
0: Wow. Yeah, he so, seemed like uh, a very cool guy.
1: Yeah, he was a he he was a wonderful guy to to work for. Never complained about anything, and just really, uh, you know, was always. And and Isabel was terrific too. I mean, Isabel was really the the grounded part of the show. I mean, the stories and everything. If you didn't have Louise Jefferson, you really tough to do stories. But uh, you know, because we she grounded the whole show. We called her the queen, and she (laughs) Sherman was Sherman. You know, we introduced her. Last as a star, Sherman was a very humble guy, very generous actor, and you know I can't say enough good things. And I've learned since then that we were spoiled with such a great cast and such a you know because I've worked on shows where it's not all that that easy, uh, you know, with the actors and always embracing the material and trying to make things work. And uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, they were they were great. You know, the show that we worked on 40 years ago in the 70s and 80s. Is now running on antenna TV, and you can see these shows during the pandemic. The book, you know, I, uh, one of the actors who played Marcus on the show is still around, and he does a, a commercial for the book when we run it on on antenna TV. And all these fans are still live, you know, especially during the pandemic. I think that people wanted to watch something that made them forget the pandemic, and you know that they laughed at it all. But it's interesting to see though that you uh, you can still. Turn on television and watch The Jeffersons. And they're doing that kind of with all these old shows now because they need material. You know, there's so many channels now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, but, the um, content is everywhere.
1: But <laughs> you have the best thing. I mean, the focus, you ask a question that I don't, I'd love to hear an answer to. Where is comedy going and and, and is it changing and what is it, uh, you know, it's it's like the Barbie. I don't know what Barbie is a big, a huge hit, you know, and it is Barbie. What difference is Barbie from other movies? Is, is it a timing thing so much that people just, you know, want to laugh at oh. something or, or, uh, I don't know. You nostalgia, Identified nostalgia. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. I think it's great marketing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They did, they did global marketing. You could just see things in the middle East Europe, you know, that's they true. really rolled out a great marketing campaign. It became an event, right? They, that and Oppenheimer. They were sort of combining you'd see a double feature of both i think it's just people were you know they they made an event out of it you know of course it's amazing
1: Yeah, they did yeah i mean uh, two, two shows that are so opposite too really but they're so they're good shows but a whole different but yeah no i'm, I'm hearing what you're saying i'm going because i think you're 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 nailing it better than
0: i could I... it it became a worldwide thing of people wanting to see this double feature you know, and obviously Barbie yeah. benefited a lot more, made a lot more money. But it's also, Oppenheimer was, I believe, you know, close to or over three hours.
1: What's interesting with, with Barbie comedy, that that show, you know, based on a Barbie doll here, we're doing a movie. You could, you, could, you could fit, that show could have bombed so easily. I mean, it depends on who handled it and how they handled it. Somehow they handled it because that easily could have
0: been. Just, just GI Joe kind yeah, of, it's like, know, yeah. I mean, it's not
1: yeah. funny. certainly not not a phenomenon like it is. So the question, yeah, for, for me is in kind of your question. What what did they do? How did they handle that so it appealed to everybody across the board? And, and a lot, of, I, I guess, the actors too. are, I mean, it's you got to get sure. the right people in there. You know, Ryan Gosling and Robert. But it all seemed to work, and everybody who sees it just seems to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got legs, that's for sure. And, and and even the next couple of weeks, it was still number one. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there'll be sequels, and, and then it's going to come on to streaming and, you know, just continue to have a like there and continue to generate the revenue. Do you think like, looking back on your on your careers, or is there a particular, you know, project or uh, accomplishment that even stands out or most fulfilling or rewarding to you over your entire career that May or may not be in the book, but
1: well, you know what's rewarding to me is I just spent my uh, daughter and two of my grandkids uh, from back east to happen to live in Ohio. Now we're out here, and we all were together. And uh, to me, that my my two daughters have have grown up to be such good people and good mothers. They each have two, they have four grandkids. That to me is a great personal accomplishment. But uh, also, you know, I mentioned Nick and Devin, who, you know, well, Bungie and Nick Standard, are the two former students I mentioned who were doing this yeah. the thing now, knowing that you, you, I mean, these guys were good. I mean, I just happened to recognize that they were good and say, hey, why don't you write together? But that's a good accomplishment. And they're happily, each of these guys are married with two kids and they're family guys now. As far as the, the work, I think I mentioned in the book, like the... Martin Luther King tribute that, that we managed to do, which I always kind of wanted to do, and a KKK episode that we've done Well, you know these are Jefferson's CPR, George yeah. and Jefferson's, and here's yeah Ku Klux Klan. How do you do that show? It was something working with Norman. I always thought you know what what can we do? Like you know Norman did the rape on the show. You know Edith and how do you make that funny? But he managed, and I'm thinking, how do you, you got a black show here, black primary black actors and all, and how do you do the KKK and, and make a statement about, and, and do you do the KKK or do you just call it white supremacy? Or how, And we decided what to do, and, and somehow we got away with that. And uh, that's, an, I don't think you could do that today. And, and the Martin no, Luther King I episode, yeah. Martin Luther King thing was basically my experience. I was alive then when Martin got shot, and and I remember the feeling uh, and I remember the white, white people saying he was a communist and, and all this kind of stuff. And and we were able to present all that, I think, in that show, the episode that we did. And, and yeah, I, I think those are both great shows. You know, I don't know what awards they ever won or were nominated for, but I think I mentioned Mark Twain in the, in the book that uh, Mark Twain said it's better to... Uh, deserve an award and not get it, then they get an award and not deserve it. So I always figured, you know, I think that those shows, and not just because of, because of me or my partner, but the actors, the director, everybody pulled together to make that show work, you know? And the actors could, could be funny one minute and, and put tears in their eyes and put tears in your eyes at the same time. That's what always was fascinating to me about all in the family. I don't know how much you, you, you know, you were too young probably to remember when that really it was a disclaimer at the beginning, you know, it, it's like, you mm. know, get your kids out of the room if you're gonna yeah, watch warning. this or something. Yeah. But they would always you'd be laughing one minute and then be tears in your eyes. Next minute you go, Yeah, I didn't know a sitcom could make you do that. Or you get chills and go, Whoa, like I did, there was an episode of where a Basically, Archie has a swastika put on his door. A guy gets, there's a ball and blows up and, and blows this guy up. who we definitely to know at the, at the end of the show. And it's like, really? I mean, who had the balls to be doing that show and, and make that comedy? But Norman really, you really got to, my, Norman's my idol when it comes to everything, basically. I and mean, he's still alive, you know, he just turned 101.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And he's
1: still bright, and he's still sharp, you know. His dad still has an office at Sony Pictures. He's they got the Norman Miller building there. When you look at his history and how he made that show happen and all in the family, you know there were there were three pilots done. And uh, before that show finally got done, you know, every network turned to get one at ABC, they did one finally and, and he you know, giving some props to actors, Norman uh, initially he, he offered that role to uh, Pinky Rooney, you know, Mickey Rooney. The old yeah. days yeah so mickey, mickey read the script Norman will tell you and uh he, he, talks, to, about in the th- he calls, talks about himself in the third. Person, right? he calls talks about himself in a third person norm uh mick can't say this stuff you know
0: so he mm-hmm. said to mick
1: to mick can't say and norman's like you know he wasn't going to change anything but he knew what he wanted to do i mean this was his dad he was kind of basing us on he knew how white people Everybody had a crazy uncle or a neighbor or whatever, and he was going to do a show about But when Carol Connor, as I understand, when Carol Connor, Carol would read the show and all that, Carol had his own notes and thoughts. And Norman said, Carol, you got to commit to the material if you're going to do the show or not. So he really stuck with that thing. And uh, yeah, it's amazing, really, when you look back. And if you know Phil Rosenthal, who created Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil said describes TV as before norm and afternoon, BN and yeah. AN, and that changed television. It really was. There's a coffee table book out now, but it's called uh, All in the Family, you, you show the show that changed television, and they take like uh, 40 or 50 of the best shows one of them being the Draft Dogger show where they, they interviewed Mike and I for it. But it is a show that changed television, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of curious on your take on TV, the TV that you know and what, like what your favorite show is or, or for TV you know, watching or what your kids watch for TV.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for us, yeah, it's a lot of streaming now, you know, with, with all the, the different platforms that go on with the you know, Amazon and Netflix and Apple TV and Paramount Plus and Peacock. And, you know, so I think there there's not really like I remember in high school, college, there'd be like must see TV where all these shows would be locked in a row, you know, and Seinfeld would be like maybe the anchor or friends or whatever was going on in, in that sort of time. And you sort of just watch like four shows in a row, you know, probably Frazier was part of, uh, at some time. And, you know, prior to that. Cheers and and, and certain series like that but that to me was what my memories were the most of comedy is watching like just a few in a row and you know you wanted to tune in to see them all because they they seem to block them together especially I felt like it was like Thursday nights on NBC always had this really like strong lineup that people would just you know obviously Seinfeld would get so many viewers and then when it sort of became like okay now you have kids you're watching you know a lot younger stuff. But you do see writers come nowadays, and they'll throw in adult things into children's shows in the sense of jokes that the parents can appreciate as well, or like a show like modern family that we watched, right, that was on, I right. think, 11 years, you know, and that can, that's kind of like blurring that line, edgy versus maybe some people find it controversial, some of the things they say, but it's more modern you now, no, no pun intended. But more modern day where audiences are sort of, you know, could they make it in 2023? I don't know some of the jokes they said a decade ago, but it's contemporary enough to where they still hold up, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, Modern Family, I think it was a brilliant show. That was a single camera show that definitely uh, was well written and well put together. Yeah, well acted,
0: well put together. I mean, yeah, the single family, but there's a lot of camera movement in it. You know, it's not afraid to pan, it's not afraid to zoom in and out on things. And I think it creates sort of like movement to the show to kind of take away from it being just a single camera. But that's a great point. I mean, I'm used to the three camera setup myself. And when I went to college, it was the same thing. When we would do, you know, TV or film, whether broadcasting, you would certainly set up those three camera, you know, camera one, camera two, and it just kind of just moves the pace. But I think those single families, if they can kind of, the DP or whoever the camera operator can sort of bring some life to the scene by you know by moving that camera around, it does sort of at, at least for me push it along and make it a little more um, sort of upbeat and, and just visually interesting to watch than just okay, like you said, mash, you know, single camera. Okay, it's hard yeah, to. Change like like up, you, like know, you like,
1: said, they they were in tune with the times, like the uh, the gay couple that gets married and has a kid. And- <laughs> And they really deal with everything really well and they were able to do the you know like office does with the talking heads and you could you know where they're doing a documentary at the same time people are filming it and then they could talk yeah it was really really a well done show any successful show it's like catching lightning in a bottle i mean you have to get you have to get good directors you have to get good actors you have to get good writers good show, and, and that's hard to do it's uh not
0: done with every no that's why you get a, you know over a decade on the air it's it's that's in itself is is impossible it seems you yeah, know man. to most shows so i mean that's definitely definitely a, a testament of like you said the writing the acting the producing just all all together everyone sort of pulled together and like i said they weren't afraid to sort of push those boundaries like you said this couple they're gay, but they have an adopted daughter. And Then this couple, and you know, he's much older than she, and you know, right? Lot exactly. going on, right? You know, it just it it worked, and like I said, it hasn't right. been that long since it's been off the air, but it definitely holds up. I just it was don't a know modern the modern story.
1: family. It was a perfect perfect name yeah. for it. But when you mentioned ten, you know, Jefferson's uh, set a record. Of, they were on eleven seasons, and that was the the longest any sitcom had ever run. And I think since then. Uh, I don't know, if Mash maybe one an episode more or something. I think, you uh, know, we certainly, then it was Jefferson's became the longest black show on TV until mm-hmm. Tyler Perry did, I uh, think Tyler Perry with House of Pain. He did one more episode than the Jefferson just so he could say it was the longest. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> oh, but, no. Uh, I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, what what so what what's next for you like are, is there anything that you're you're working on or Are you just enjoying you know seeing your grandkids and and just enjoying you know life or do you still have an itch to to yeah well, I'm definitely
1: live. trying to grow old gracefully basically which I
0: feel like it but uh, yeah we, uh, what I had
1: planned I think I mentioned to you at the beginning of September is going to Maui but now Maui's which we which kind of a second home for me and uh, and I. I my true companion. We've been going there for a while and uh, looking for because no, but work-wise, I just finished a seventh seventh draft of a script that whatever. So I'm still, I'm not work working. I'm not doing anything hard or that I'm necessarily going to get paid for. But I, I still, you know, try to keep like well, like the book I I brought another book too that's basically a screenplay called Dead Eye. It's uh dedicated to everybody who wanted to be a cowboy. I grew up watching cowboys, you know, like Lone Ranger and Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and all those kind of things. There was a time in the 50s and early 60s when that was all that was on TV. It was all these cowboy shows. Adults watch, Roy kids Rogers, watching. Roy Rogers. And every kid, That was, he was the king of the cowboys. He's what I wanted to be. In fact, they have a picture in the book with him and Dale Evans, you know, was... If, you were, if, you ever, if you're interested in cowboy shows, the, the book, this book called Dead I is basically a screenplay, I wrote it in book form, and it almost got, came close to getting made over the years, but hasn't been yet. So my, my thinking is when I'm gone, somebody's gonna, some director's gonna pick up the book and say, you know, this is kind of, you know, and this has all the, it's like a tribute to the cowboy shows. It's got, it's about a guy who, Who's like a young lawyer, and uh, he's going through a divorce, and everything's miserable. He doesn't like hates being a lawyer, hates his job. The only thing he ever really wanted to do was a cowboy, so he just takes off to be a cowboy. It's a little crazy, but it's like Don Quixote, you know. In his mind, he starts to be like a cowboy because he goes out west, and it occurs during the '70s when everybody out west did wear a cowboy hats still, and it was real. He just kind of creates his own reality, in like three ways, three scenes three acts through the movie it becomes like a cowboy show you know i mean it becomes really he's created like i said it's a lot of i didn't even realize it at the time but it's kind of don Quixote kind of thing anyway
0: that's yeah no that's mm-hmm. awesome i mean is there so that's besides this book well besides your book right honking in the yeah. house is this, I got this on Amazon. What is there any other? Where do you suggest that people listen well, yeah,
1: to Amazon, you can get anything I write on Amazon, you know, that today, which is great. In the old days, you had to get stuff on shelves, you know, but now it's everybody buys on call I wish I had the book. Uh, well, I have it. I'm not going to run near the other room, but Deadeye. It's called Deadeye. If, if you put my name, Jay Morgan, I'll put it you, in
0: the show notes. So put it the in the Amazon.
1: You no, know, they'll yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's comedy. It's, Hits all the things that you used to find because he knows from all the, the Lone Ranger the things the Lone Ranger used to do and of and the things that, that Roy did and the things that you know every every uh, cowboy did something different and you know the Hopalong uh, Cassidy and Cisco Kid and all those guys it combines all that so especially if you if you grew up watching because you really don't have to just like you you didn't have to grow up with a Barbie doll to see Barbie and, <laughs> right and right. Amused and have fun with it, you know. Is
0: there so is there a way for people to follow your work, or is it you know just just Google search? Or... Well, you know, on
1: Facebook, I I do have okay. and I and I you know you fall in and out of Facebook. I haven't been doing a lot, but I do have a Jefferson's page, and I do have a Deadeye page. So the Deadeye Western thing, uh, in fact, like if I put up a picture of a of a Roy Rogers lunchbox or something. You'd be surprised at all the hits you get and people, Yeah, I had one like that in my, in my brother and, and I remember my mom used to put my hostess cupcakes in the you know, I have a, I have a Facebook page, my regular Facebook page. There's also an author page which is a basic and then there's a Jefferson's page and a Deadeye page. So the Jefferson's uh, has all about the hockey book and stuff. And the Deadeye page has Dead eye and cowboys. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you, you don't know from all the stuff, but there was every every kid in the 50s had a picture, male and female, of a picture with a cowboy hat on and guns. You know, you always yeah. had the guns. But for Christmas or your birthday, that's what you wanted. And I I had a number of pictures of both girl and boy who, in fact, uh, Nancy, my true companion, she has her picture with the you know, cowboy stuff on but
0: oh, wow. in the
1: fifties everybody everybody was a you wanted to be a cowboy, you know. Mm-hmm. Birthday parties, everybody, the kids dressed up like cowboys. Because the cowboy thing was they were little but they were morality plays, you know, and the good guys always won, you know, the good guys wore the white hats and the bad guys uh, they all had dark clothes on and wore, wore dark horses, the stars would wear the ride the, you know, Goldman Palominos and those kind of things, but it was always a morality. It was like you know, remember, uh, Davy Crockett was really big in the fifties. Everybody had a coonskin cap, but Davy Crockett, his motto was, "Be sure you're right, then go ahead." You know.
0: <laughs>
1: so morality was real simple in those days. You know, you, just, you got God, you got the flag, you got the country, and you just do. And I think that's what spurred on the sixties too, the, the, the baby boomers then who. Learned from David Crockett. Be sure you're right then go ahead, and they would be. They would like you know. There shouldn't be any war. You know, all we're saying is give peace a chance, and that became a big. And then the racial strife was. You know, how come there's uh, there's segregation and trying to. We know this is right, even though the law says this right. Now. That ended up 68 with the Democratic convention in 68 all
0: this action before you were even born. Yeah. No, it, it's like it's pretty it's it's crazy to how how time flies and how much happens but it's it's like this career you've had has been very fascinating to listen to the stories of how you've woven so many of your personal beliefs, attitudes, feelings into writing which helped people just enjoy these great shows and laugh and feel emotion which is like you said something you don't really get from most sitcoms out there so it's been you know an amazing career i mean i i think i i want to read dead eye yeah. <laughs> that's online well, i'll be happy to uh,
1: send you a copy if you, if no, you tell me where to send it just tell me no gonna, no no care, right?
0: i'll go on amazon like everyone should you I know and like uh, 15 bucks or something <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, yeah it, exactly yeah thank you so much for taking the time today to do this podcast again amazon look for your book honky in the house that's nice of you to yeah. say you know
1: i wrote this book because when i came out here yes i wish there were something i could read to find out what you know what goes on how do you how do you get into comedy how does this business work how does the writer's guild work how do, and i wrote i wrote a book now that i wish i had or that young people today could read and they could see. I just told them whatever it was from a, a writer's perspective, you know. Even the guild, which is, you know, when my partner and I started, it was like, well, now we got to pay what initiation? We didn't understand about, <laughs> about the pension and, and health, you know. It was like, right, right, right. And uh, picketing, you know, we went through all the strikes, which are happening right now. You see the, the writers and the actors sure. striking. But anyway, what I strive to do is by telling my story is to tell other people how it works and how they can do the same kind of thing. If you stick with it, it's, with, it's, it's about perseverance, you know, I mean, it's about really sticking with something you want to do. And then it almost surprises me. When I look back, my book's basically what happened to me in my 20s and i i look back and i don't know how this kid to me it's like somebody else you know and i like the third person how did this guy do this stuff and how was he so sure that he was going to end up you know, not on the streets or something like that? i think i mentioned in the book early on that if i ever got in my life where i could afford enough money to hire somebody to cut my grass so i didn't have to cut my own grass and have access to a swimming pool i'd be a happy guy and that's what i have, today. I have we have a great gardener and we got a swimming pools plus a jacuzzi. So I'm a happy guy, and I really kid. enjoy talking to you. And I hope to see yeah. uh, see more of you around.
0: Yeah, we'll do this Personal again. Friend. Yeah, maybe talk about the next book. Maybe if you have time to come back, we could we could talk about your next book and and that see how how, how everything is going. Check in in a uh, in a little while and and that have some fun. Ter-
1: that would be terrific. I mean.